0: So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, episode 37. This is for the 25th of TV's in a leap year. And if you've noticed the past couple of episodes, I've been trying to make these episodes a little bit more personal. I'm going to try to continue with this, God willing, uh, you know, to start off with a little bit of maybe a personal exercise, something that maybe can be a little bit more relatable before we get into the actual teaching of the Tanya itself to make these teachings a little bit more concrete and relatable. So for today's Tanya, we're continuing with chapter 13, and this is going to be a long one. We're actually going to finish the chapter. And if it were not a leap year, this section would be divided up into Three different days. So it's a lot, but we're really going to try to talk, tackle it and bring it down. And w- the way that I'd like to start it off here is actually to talk about something that um, might be a little bit like, okay, um, is addiction. And the, if you're familiar with the program of Alcoholics Anonymous or any of the anonymous, like the 12 step programs as they're known as, and anybody who's familiar with these programs, will tell you that the one of the interesting things about them is somebody could be regardless of whatever whatever the addiction is somebody could be sober for years for 20 years 30 years 40 years but yet they still stick to the program they're still in the 12 steps so why so I actually have a friend who's in one of these programs and I even asked her and I said to her you know after a certain amount of time do you feel like you even Need this program anymore? Like, do you still feel the same, the same desire, temptation for your addiction like you had before? And she said to me, "No, I don't have this temptation anymore. You know, if this, if the thing that uh, I'm, I'm so aware of how bad this addiction is for me now, that I'm not even tempted to go there. And when the opportunity presents itself, itself to me, it's so not something. It's, it's not really a struggle like it used to be before. And I said to her, "Okay, well, so then why are you still In this program why do you feel like it's so necessary for you and she said it's absolutely necessary and she said that once a person realizes that they are an addict so maybe it's not healthy to say that you're always an addict but you always have the potential to be an addict you always have the potential to fall back into that addiction and if you don't work the steps day after day after day after day, you can easily fall so easily back into your addiction. And she said she's experienced it to herself. She's seen it with other people. And that's, that's just the reality. And that is the topic of today's Tanya. (laughs) So I want you to take a moment and think about if there's ever been a time or if there's ever something in your life that you feel like that you've worked on, or you feel like you're actually is not a struggle for you. Something that comes pretty easily for you and maybe used to be a struggle of some what some some sort but now it's like it's not even something that you would call a struggle think about it do you feel comfortable do you feel complacent in this area do you feel almost like um holier than thou maybe a certain self-righteousness with it you know maybe um in terms of when you see other people struggling with this and you're like oh i'm above that i don't need to struggle with it anymore So what we're going to learn about today is that you should never get to this place of being too comfortable. You should never feel like you are higher than whatever it is that you once struggled with. Uh, You should actually always consider yourself to be a fighter and you should always continue with this fight and always be aware that that level of failure and that level of falling back down is very, very close and it could happen in a split second. And this is something that we need to constantly struggle with. And this isn't a bad thing, by the way. This is actually a good thing. And this is how God created us. He wants us to struggle. He wants us to fight. And we'll see that this fight, this struggle, is actually where the real work will happen. And going back to my friends that was talking to, talking to me about this 12-step program, she was she was saying to me, she said that actually an addict is somebody, an addict in recovery is actually the best type of person. It's They're actually somebody who is, Over and above and higher than most other people, because they are forced on a daily basis to confront not only themselves, but to confront God and to really work on these things that really everybody should be working on and everybody should be aware of. But not most people don't, it's not put in their face in the same way. And so I think what the Tanya does is it forces us to realize that we're all really addicts in some way. We're all addicts to our impulses and struggles and desires, whatever they may be, and they're different for every person. And so at the same time, the Tanya gives us the tools to really work with these things. And not only as a coping mechanism, but as a way of growth and as a way to realize that it's within this growth and within this struggle that that our connection to God really happens. And we'll see that this, we'll learn about in today's Tanya, that this is actually what we mean by true service of God is in this struggle that we have. So, with that being said, that was a little long intro, but hopefully it was helpful. We are going to get right into the text. So, once again, we're in the middle of chapter thirteen, and we and if you remember yesterday, we were talking about this idea of how it is that the Baalini, even though he has within him these two forces of good and evil, he's able to overcome the evil all the time, and this is because God is the arbitrator over these two judges, and God is biased towards the side of good. So, God is able to push you know, the side of good a little bit more so that it's able to rule over ultimately the side of evil. However, and this is where we begin today in the middle of chapter 13, the Benoni still has this evil within them. It's, it's, it's there in the left ventricle of the heart, as we said. And not only is it there, it's actually fully and totally alive, just like it was when he was born. To, it's, so it's, it's, it hasn't gotten any weaker it's there and it has the same desires and the same urges that it always had and it has not been nullified for the good at all the only thing is is that it remains in this left ventricle and it does not seep out into the rest of the organs of the body and why not because god stands on the right side and it helps the godly soul and this is why if we go back in the very beginning of Tanya if you remember this was in the first first chapter how we began that Tanya we said that before a person is born, they are given an oath. And the oath is that you should always see yourself as a Russia. And even if the entire world says that you are a tzadik, you should see yourself as a Russia. So, and we talked about like, you know, wow. So it's like, that kind of sounds pretty depressing. We can never, we're always just going to be an evil person. Like, you know, what, what's the good in that? But the Altar rabbi here explains this a little bit more. And he says, look at the wording. It says that you should be, you should see yourself like a rasha. It doesn't see that you should see yourself as a rasha. It says you should see yourself as if you were a rasha, Russia." So the full wording in Hebrew is, So even if the entire world say that you are a Tzadik, you should see yourself as a rasha, as if you were a rasha. Not an actual Russia, but you should see yourself as if you were Russia. So, what does this mean? What does this mean? Is the Alzurava says that you should you should hold yourself and imagine that you are actually a Benoni, which is why this book was written for you know most people, and meaning that you should never believe that the evil within you has been totally nullified to the good, because this is the level of tzadi, but rather you should see it. That this evil that's within you is actually, you should never, ever get comfortable. You should never be complacent. You should realize this evil within you is totally alive and totally strong in your left ventricle of the heart as when you were born. And it didn't go anywhere. Not only, not only that, as time goes on, it actually is probably going to get stronger because the more you use it, the stronger it gets. So since you've been eating and drinking and being involved in the physical world for your entire life, it's it's most likely going to be a lot stronger than it was when you were just a mere baby and you didn't know, you know, what temptation was even. And like you, you, you hadn't tasted of the pleasures of the world. Even the altar of says, even if you're the type of person who learns Torah all day long and, and, and you really do it in a real way, like you learn it for Hashem's sake, this isn't proof that you've gotten rid of the evil, but it could be that it's just that while this this animal soul, this Yetzirahara, is still very much strong and alive in the left ventricle of the heart. It doesn't seep out into the garments of the soul, which is the thought, speech, and action. So, and and in all the different organs of the body. Because, as we mentioned, the ultimately God God made it so that the mind can rule over the heart. And in the mind ruling over the heart, this causes that the godly soul is the one in which his garments are the ones that encompass the body thought speech and action which means the 613 mitzvahs of the torah however the actual while the garments of the godly soul are the ones that are ruling that are that are running the ship so to speak it's when it comes to essentially what's going on the actual essence of the godly soul is not the one that is the ruler over the the animal soul it's they're both they're both still at war as mentioned so even if somebody is a very seemingly quote-unquote like Living a holy life, learning all day long, really involved with godly things. This is not proof that they don't have a Yetzahara. This is not proof that even their yetzirah is even any smaller than anybody else's. And now the ultra rebbe brings back and reviews something that we had mentioned about before. Is that we did say that you know there are specific times like you know when a person prays or things like that that you could say that the that the godly soul does have a sense of rulership over the body. However, he says here that even in those times, we can't call it full rulership. What we can say is it's this idea that we had talked about, that when you have two nations that are, that are fighting, when one of them rises up, the other one falls down. So at this time, you know, when, the, when a person is davening really strongly or meditating or really, really, really focusing, so yes, at that time, the godly soul is the one that rules over the animal soul and is the one that's on top, so to speak. And this manifests as a way of a person really meditating upon the greatness of God, and it, it might lead to a really, really, really strong love and passionate love of God in the right ventricle of the heart. And and it might even cause that the animal soul that is the Sitra Akhra, the, the other side in the left ventricle of the heart, it might cause it to actually subdue it and to push it down. However, it does not get fully nullified. The only people that are able to fully nullify this is, as we mentioned, that's Sadi. but in, um about who it's written again you know for its tzaddik, it says that it's it's not just that they push down this yitzhara inside of them but they actually hate this hate evil and hate totally hate it with like utter and utter disgust or in the case of an incomplete tzaddik, it's like okay so they don't like totally hate it but they they basically have eradicated it for all intents and purposes however in the case of benoni and abenany this is not the case in the case of the benany yes at that moment at the time that they've prayed they've succeeded in subduing it and pushing it down but he says this is like an example of a person who's sleeping and then after sleeping then they can they wake up you know it's like they're sleeping and then they're waking up so it's like in that case it's like when a is davening when a is involved in this deep sense of prayer and devotion and love and they've even succeeded in arousing this love of God okay they've succeeded in putting their they're animal soul to sleep. But it can wake up again. And it most likely will. And so if you've been following along with the podcast, then you can remember our story in the very beginning about Rava, who was, you know, one of the biggest sages of his generation. And he called himself a Bainuni. And we were really confused by this. And his students were confused by this. How can you say, you know, that you're a Bainuni and if you're the greatest person of the generation? And now we can understand this. And we can say that this is because Rava was, praying and, and learning all day long. So he thought of himself as like, he most likely is this Benoni that is in this state of subduing and pushing down his hara all day long so that it's sleeping and dormant. But who knows what would have happened if he would have stopped praying or, or learning. And so he thought it is very possible that he fell into this category of being a Ben-Uni who but succeeded in putting his hara to sleep because he was in, actively involved in all of these holy things all day long. But who knows if the beast had really gotten eradicated or not because he was always in this meditative state and now the ultra epic compares the level of love that a benuni is able to arouse in their service to the level of love that itsadi is able to arouse in their service and he says that compared to itsadi, when we say that the benuni is able to arouse this love of god it's not as authentic as the love that comes from it's Adi. and this is because and the proof of this is that it's it's transient so as we've mentioned, you know, in the case of a bainoni, sure, maybe there are moments when they're praying, you know, when they're meditating, when they feel this like influx of love and passion towards God, but the fact that it doesn't last, the fact that it doesn't, doesn't permanently stay with them is proof that it's not as authentic, so to speak, as that of, 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 of a Tzadik. Because for a Tzadik, it's always there. It's not something that's just transient at a certain time. And then for a proof of this, the ultra-ba'sates Mishlei, Proverb, chapter twelve, verse nineteen, where it says, "Svat emet tikon la'ad, the ad which literally translates as, "The language of truth shall be established forever, but the tongue of falsehood is only momentary." So, meaning to say that you know the proof that something is true is if it is eternal, and something that's not eternal is not true. So, again. For a a Benuni versus a Tzadik, the fact that the Benunis' love and passion for God is only a temporary and transient state is proof that it's not as authentic as that of a Tzadik. However, the Alter Abba gives a little bit of a, a consolation here where he says that, okay, but when we talk about the service and the level of a Benuni, we can still call it true. So when we're, t- you know, it's like we have to address people on different levels. So within the level of a benuni, when a, a benoni, this is the category that the person's in, when they're engaging this kind of service, each person, according to their level, we can definitely say that this is pure and true service. And we can even say that there is something eternal about it. Because once a person arouses this, this, uh, this love, even though it may not, you know, stay with them in this like, you know, perpetual state, they can always have that power to go back, and they can always go, go back and and uh, arouse this love once again, and they can do it every day, even through the proper preparations for each person, each one according to their level. And then the ultra Rabbi brings proof for this by saying that this attribute of truth, who do we ascribe this attribute of truth to? We ascribe it to Yaakov, and Yaakov is called a a middle bolt bolt that connects one ends to another. So it's, you know, the the phrasing of that in Hebrew is, and this is a paraphrase of a verse in Shemot, in chapter 26 of Shemot, uh, Exodus, and in verse 28, where it talks about this middle bolt that connects one end to the other. And it can connect to the highest levels to the lowest levels. And so it's basically, you know, what, what we're basically saying here is that truth, this attribute of truth is a very interesting thing that, it can connect, and it can be present in many different ways across all levels, and yet it's the same truth. And it's called a nakhala meaning it's an inheritance without limits, and it has no limits, upper or lower. And and so truth is not something that we can really think about in terms of levels, of levels of truth. And he explains this by saying that when we talk about you know the highest of the highest levels, are so beyond anything in comparison to the lowest of the lowest levels. And then he concludes with a bracket here where he says that it's, you know, to those people who are know, they're called Yudchan, like the, the knowledge the those who know. This is an acronym for the those who know the the Kabbalah, the Khuchmanista, the the hidden, the hidden wisdom. So people who know the hidden wisdom, like you know, those who understand the Kabbalah understand how how the the, the head and the brain of the lowest levels are lower than the heels and the feet of the highest levels. Um, for example, he says, this is like the, the, uh, the feet of the chayot, which is a certain level of angels, are above everything else. So basically, so this is, you know, just to conclude, so, this, so uh, to finish off this point, it's basically saying that this attribute of truth is something that you can't really say that this one is more true than this one or this one's less true than this one, there are, when we're talking about truth, this is something that is a very relativistic kind of word, you know, but it's also, I mean, it has that word because it's not that it's relativistic, meaning in this sense, it's true. In that sense, it's true. It's that every level has its own version of truth. And so when we're talking about the banani sure, in comparison to the service of tsari, we might have not called it truth. But when we're talking about the service of the banani itself, yes, we can say that this level of of arousing this deep sense of love is a deep sense of truth. Even if it might go away at some point, the fact that a person can continuously arouse it, it means that there is something permanent about it there, and it, it does make it true. So to bring this all back together and to go back you know, to our discussion in the very beginning, if you remember it at this point, about sobriety and the 12 steps and life in general and you know, becoming complacent. So what we've learned today is that Yes, we should not become complacent. We should never be complacent. We should always realize that within us is this force that wants to destroy us. I mean, it doesn't ultimately as we've learned, but its impulse is towards destruction. Its impulse is towards doing things that are negative, that are not good for us. And even if we feel like we've overcome our struggles, even if we feel like we've really risen over and above these things we should never be complacent. We should always realize that the struggle is real and the struggle is there and we have to acknowledge the struggle and we have to constantly work, work in the war of the struggle. At the same time, this shouldn't depress us and this should make us realize that, that we, we have the ability to overcome it and the fact that we have this ability to overcome it, there is movement. So a person might think that, okay, so I'm just doing this, constant struggle it seems like a little bit like of a rat in a rat race I'm just going around and around and around and not going anywhere but what we've also learned today is that's not true and that if you do succeed in overcoming it if you do get to these moments of love you know and arousing this this sense of your higher self and you've succeeded in pushing away the animal within you and this negative force if you've done that even once in your life this is that you can do it again So if you've gotten to the point ever with something where you've able to overcome a temptation to the point where you're not even tempted by it anymore, even if you felt that for a moment at some point, you can go back to that and you can re arouse that feeling by reconnecting to your, to God and by reconnecting to this ability that you have to overcome it. So there is some kind of growth that happens and there is something, there is movement and, and you do have this godly soul inside of you. And I think it's interesting just as a final point with, You know, the 12 step program that a big part of the 12 step program is this idea of of bringing God into it. And without God, there is no 12 step program. You must have God in that in order to overcome anything. And there's this idea of, you know, letting go and giving the struggle over to God. And I think that really parallels what we've learned about in Tanya today is the only way that you can actually overcome your evil impulses and to realize that you can um, do this is by realizing that within these two impulses that you have, the good and the bad, the good has a slight advantage over the bad. Why? Because of God. And it's only by giving yourself over to God, by only, only by acknowledging this godly self within you that has this connection to God himself, can you ultimately overcome your challenges. So I hope that was insightful, and we're going to continue tomorrow with a new chapter, with chapter 14. I'll speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast, hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Abraham Yitzchak Ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana.